what's up? You know you're only hearing half of the show, right? And it's being indiscriminately uh, interrupted with these sales pitches because we just don't know how else to get your attention and get you over there. Uh, our website, our podcasts are 100% listener-funded. Uh, they are funded with your subscriptions, so if you could please do that. Uh, help us out, therightstuff.biz slash paywall. Thanks. Welcome to Gas the Press. I'm Warren Baylog. I'm joined here by my father, Alan Baylog. And guys, as promised, this is going to be the new show in the TRS lineup that will be different from the show that I've been doing, the NJP Weekly Report, in that we're going to focus more on just political commentary and also more history, which is something that I haven't been able to cover as much just doing the NJP Weekly Report. I talked about this uh, on the last report. With that, the Weekly Report is going to be now a little shorter, a little punchier, not as much news commentary, more just dealing with the party, party news, things directly to do with the NJP. And the idea here is to make the NJP Weekly Report freely available to the public. That'll be out on the uh, National Justice Party website here as well. This show uh, is going to be more in the style of what I've done before with the Mike and Warren Report, with FTN, uh, and even the People's Square. And I'm going to be able to, like I said, really get into the political news. I, I do modern politics also. But uh, that's a one-hour show. There's a lot that I don't get to talk about. And I'm very happy now on an ongoing basis, on a weekly basis, to be joined by my dad because we have been talking about politics together for over 25 years. And when I think if somebody – some of the conversations we've had, I wish we'd had a microphone recording it. Um, we talk about politics every week. And uh, usually when I've asked him to come on as a guest spot – to fill in on a show, it's usually with very little notice, so we don't have time to do prep. So for us to be able to record on a weekly basis, and we can do it in the same room, which is really cool, uh, this is going to be great. So you should say hi. Well, hello, and uh, it's quite an honor to be here. Uh, I've appeared as a guest different times uh, on various shows uh, on TRS, uh, but now I've been asked to become a regular and it's 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 quite an honor to be part of this uh, the premier podcast group or network, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the Western world, I think. And and uh, I uh, you know I hope I can bring like a boomer perspective, uh, uh, boomer that's always been out of step, uh, always been oriented towards our politics, and uh, I hope that adds something. To, that we, you don't get to hear every place else, but uh, like I say, I'm, I'm I'm very pleased to be here and and uh, thankful for the opportunity. I hope I don't disappoint. And we're gonna, guys. The way this show will be structured will be like a lot of TRS shows now, where um, the first hour will be free, the second hour will be behind the paywall. Of course, uh, I should say it right now, and I'll be saying on a regular basis. Anybody who can, uh, if, you, if you're not signed up with TRS or with the NJP, because, you know, if you sign up right now with, as an NJP supporter, you get a TRS membership included. But uh, if you're not signed up, encourage you guys to sign up so that we can continue to do this kind of thing, to put the content out there. This whole thing is uh, funded grassroots, to, <laughs> to put it mildly. I mean, the enemy, the system, they do not want us to exist they do not want this radio network to exist. They have tried repeatedly to shut it down over the years. Ten years, Mike's kept this going, and uh, they have not been able to do it. And part of that is thanks to Mike and his technical know-how and the guys behind this who, who have, have you know held their nerve and have never caved into the pressure. But, of course, the other half of it is you guys out there paying month-to-month uh, -month to keep it going. So... Encourage everybody to sign up if you haven't. So let's see. We <laughs> we didn't have uh, a ton of time. By the way, the weekly report, I will tell guys, uh, the weekly report is going to be out um, this weekend. But uh, I might, I'm going to do, I'm going to interview Carson. We might end up putting this out as our weekend show, uh, the way FTN was there for a while. 
Possibly. We'll see. I, I, we both travel a lot for the NJP, and so it's hard for me. A lot of weekends I can't record on the weekend itself, so we might like be have to pre-record by a few days and then put the show out. But the weekly report will probably still be a Thursday thing, and then this will go on the weekends after our first show or, or two here. Uh, but for now, we're putting this one out on Thursday, and then the, the weekly report will be out for the weekend this week. So with that said... Uh, let's dive right in. I think the first thing is um, the uh, Republican debate, which, again, guys, we're going to have a little less prep this this week than we will going forward. Um, this actually was finalized, the idea that Dad would be on my regular co-host and we'd be doing the show today. Uh, we just finally finalized all this yesterday. So uh, I did not even realize that the second Republican debate was going on last night. <laughs> and uh, I've watched some clips. I haven't watched the whole thing. It doesn't seem like we, like we missed much. I, I, I saw that it was going to be on, and I had no interest uh, in watching it. Uh, it's, just, it's just the same old political theater we always have before an election. And... Uh, you know, they, they just pay lip service to uh, what they think the people want to hear. And uh, these guys, most of them have a, a track record of doing nothing. And uh, I, I just, at, at this point, you know, I'm not going to get sucked into getting excited about that that rhetoric anymore, uh, including from Trump. It, it's uh, Trump does it better than anybody else. He's more convincing. But... Uh, and sometimes I'll, you know, I'll admit it's hard not to just say, "Man, we ought to, you know, maybe you ought to get him in there for if, if for no other reason than uh, the chaos factor that he causes." But uh, I'm resisting the temptation. With, you know, the, I mean, the big, the big issues, the open borders that are like just—it's unbelievable what's happening, and the anti-white crime. I mean, people literally dying and being raped and 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 you know, assaulted every day. Um, they, they just stay as far away from that as they can. They pay a little lip service to the borders, but they've been, like I said, they've been doing that for decades. So it's, it's, uh, I just can't take it serious. Yeah. And I'm looking at the lineup. We had Doug Burgum, who apparently is some CEO, not a Jew. I thought that was maybe a Jewish name and he looks kind of Jewish, but he's not a Jew. Um, but he's some nobody, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Vivek, Ramaswamy, Tim Scott, and Mike Pence. I mean, what a sad uh, selection. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about what Trump and Biden were doing. Uh, Trump, of course, gave a speech in Michigan to uh, auto workers, non-union auto workers, which is really funny. But this, this lineup, let's just talk about this lineup for a little bit. These people are absolute scum, uh, this, this group here. And uh, it's well, funny. So three of the seven are, are non-whites, right? Yeah. For the, yeah, Republican yeah, yeah, Party. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like more, almost half non-white. And uh, they all are just real scum. I mean, the Republican Party, it is getting more non-white. I mean, it used to be, who was that guy, uh, the, the, what was he, the pizza CEO or something, the black guy that he died recently? They always have like one token black guy. Uh, and then it was Sleepy Ben Carson after that. Right. You know who I'm talking about, though, the one before that? Yeah, kind of, I, I can't remember. I forget his name. He was a real dummy. But um, they always would have, like, the one token black guy, and they still do. You know, they've got Tim Scott. But now we have two Indians on the stage, and Vivek Ramaswamy is trying to do the Trump thing, what we saw with the last debate. But, I mean, it's still, it's an Indian. It's And, and this is something we, we've talked about is the, the uh, Indianification of... Um, the Republican Party, how there's just a very natural fit with all these greedy Indian immigrants coming to the United States that, uh, you know, that the Republican values, the, the capitalism of the Republican Party, the greed jives perfectly with these people and their and their ethics. And I've seen this all over the GOP. I mean, it's one of these things where uh, the idea that the Republican Party is somehow the white party or is going to remain the white party or the only choice for white people in the future, it's just disproven by the reality of what's happening. I mean, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley is a great example of this. 
Um, but when I look at this this selection this, of clowns, not only is it a really lousy group of people, but it's amazing how many of them were Trump allies or were appointed by Trump. I mean, Nikki Haley served in the Trump administration, even though she's basically just a neocon. Chris Christie was early on one of Trump's guys who now, I mean, we know with Chris Christie, his background with the Kushners, that, um, what was it? He prosecuted Jared Kushner's incredibly corrupt father and put him behind bars many years ago. Right. And uh, that's why Kushner supposedly excluded him from the administration, even though Christie was very early on endorsed Trump. That was a hell of a boon when, when Christie dropped out and, and endorsed Trump back in 2016. I mean, Chris, Chris Christie did Trump a hell of a favor with that. But because of the um, Kushner thing, supposedly, he was not included. He wasn't given a post in the administration. But now, you know, that would make you sympathize with Chris Christie. And maybe if he were to come out and say that, say, hey, Trump's got this corrupt son-in-law who's pulling all the strings of his administration, and I helped put that guy's dad away because he was so corrupt. But he's not doing that. Instead, what he's taking is he's taking the absolute system Zog party line on China, on Russia, on Ukraine. He's just going full neocon himself, and that's what he's making into his big criticism of Donald Trump. So, you know, and then and then the biggest one is Mike Pence, who was actually Trump's vice president. He was one bullet away from being the president the whole time Trump was in office, and now he's Trump's biggest critic. So it's just, I mean, what kind of a picture does that paint where you have these people that were all included in Trump's innermost circle of power, and now they're all his enemies? Well, you can see the GOP's default position uh, is, like, Reaganism, you know, George Bush type, uh, so-called conservative, you know, small government, lower taxes, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and from time to time, the natives get restless, so they start talking about the border or, or, you know, something else. But they always go back to that. That's what they always want to get back to because that's what they are. That's who they represent. That's who their donors are. And, and and that's just what they are, and it, it's not going to it's not going to change uh, from within that party. Yeah, and Mike, you know, I've said this before, but I'll say it here again. Uh, Nikki Haley is a particularly uh, awful person, piece of shit. Um, my big thing with her was after the uh, Dylan Roof shooting, when she famously had the um, she was the governor of I guess South Carolina, and she had the Confederate flag pulled down. And it's just like, and now, and and again, she is a, a super neocon hawk on on all the Zionism and the endless wars. So it's like she presided over an anti-white, anti-southern, anti-southern white heritage thing in her own state, uh, and is now standing up there. And the media loves Nikki Haley. I mean, if I've, I'm looking at all the. Um, who won the debate? It's all they're all saying Nikki Haley. They always say how great she does, how she stood up to Vivek Ramaswamy. And Mike Pence, I've said this a few times now, his rhetoric has just become aggressively uh, anti everything good in the Republican Party. I mean, his first there was the thing about the sirens song of, of populism, and he gave a whole speech. I haven't watched the whole thing in full, but I'd like to see it about the difference between populism and conservatism and how we have to return to true conservative principles. But also Mike Pence also has been going full neocon on China, on Russia, and on Iran. It's amazing how unpopular these issues are, these positions, I should say, and yet they still are right there in the Republican Party ready to come back into power. I mean, Mike Pence is polling so poorly, nobody wants this guy. Yet these policies are the policies that they're pushing, and you know that uh, whether Trump gets in or another Republican gets in, you're going to get these people in office. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Trump puts some of these people, his enemies here, in back in his cabinet or puts them in charge of the foreign policy if, if, you know, if he gets in again. I saw one article describe the debate as a brawl, a brawl. <laughs> and, and you could just see the media... They're trying to, uh, 
you know, get some interest in this because nobody, I don't, I don't think anybody's really interested. I don't know what the ratings were for the thing, but, uh, Hey, you're still listening to only half the show. Get behind the paywall and get the rest of the story. Go to the right slash paywall and choose the subscription model that works best for you. And don't forget every Tuesday evening, there is an odyssey stream where sudden sun will take your donations through a credit card or a debit card in exchange for a subscription. You have no idea how much content you're missing. Go to the right slash paywall and let's fix that. I don't think people are that interested. And so, you know, there's this hype. They're trying to build this hype to get people interested. They really don't want Trump, uh, you know, and they can't believe that he's he, he keeps doing so well. But uh, it, it, it's... It, I don't. I don't know who watches this stuff. Even I mean, it, it would be. I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. You know. Well, you and I always used to religiously watch political debates of both parties. Uh, I mean, for for decades, like we, we would always watch the political debates, and uh, it's something that you know, as someone who, oh, I always like to follow what's going on in the mainstream. But even I, it's such a low priority. The other thing is the fact that Trump's not there. Uh, you know, I saw Chris Christie calling him out and saying that, um, you know, he's afraid, he's a coward, and, and they're going to call him They're going to call him names or something. And it's just pathetic. It's just like the people want Donald Trump. They don't want any of you clowns. And that's that's the other thing about this that's it's funny. I mean, it's actually, again, we can still learn a lot from Donald Trump. It's a power move to just skip this thing and let these idiots fight amongst themselves. Ron DeSantis also looks incredibly... Uh, lousy right now. I saw an article showing how his his influence within Florida is nose diving. Yeah, and 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 I've seen multiple things about this, and it's really interesting how this guy. It, it's a lesson in how power works. I mean, he was built up as this unbelievable guy who's just so popular in Florida, so powerful in Florida. He can get all these things done that Trump couldn't get done. Absolute darling by the media and the conservative establishment. But then they reach a point here where it's like he's got to jump into the race or he's got to wait till the next one. And it was one of those things where I think his donors and other people, everybody, wanted, they kind of pressured him to jump in because none of them wanted Trump to be the nominee. Right. So they pressured him as like the only guy that could stop Donald Trump. I don't think he actually wanted to do it. I think he reluctantly gave in to his Jew donors and ran. But now that, again, this is the prop, the price of being a leader. You know, Now that it's going shitty and these donors are all dropping out and they're not giving him any more money, it's all on him. You know, it's well, like well, he's, he's looking for – he's so desperate. He's looking for any kind of an advantage. Like I saw he he was – Criticizing Trump for, you know, Trump had said that the midterms Republicans did so bad because of the abortion thing. And, and people, you know, most people don't want that you know, anti-abortion fanaticism. And uh, so De DeSantis said that, oh, in swing states, you know, people still care. And, he, you know, he, he's trying to hook onto that and hopes that gives him a little boost. Uh, and, 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 and I forget which one of the other ones. It was talking about, you know, they get into things like uh, no abortion after, you know, five weeks and then one's oh, no, 15 weeks. You know, no, no, five, you know, and that, and that kind of that that kind of like splitting hairs and meaningless sort of trying to distinguish themselves as being, you know, more hardcore, more reasonable on little little stuff like that as not like nine thousand uh you know, non-whites are pouring across the border every day. Yeah, well, the, the, the immigration thing. So <clears throat> here was an article from NBC News, the false statements and half-truths about immigration that were told in the second Republican presidential debate. So, I, I, you know, I skimmed through to the debate, and apparently they talked about immigration quite a bit. But uh, it's really funny what this article talks about. It said that uh, immigration is one of the issues that matters most to Republicans in this electoral cycle. Seventy-seven percent of them consider this a very important issue. Uh, but the, during the, you know, they were fact-checking them, right? Claim, fentanyl crisis comes from an open border. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina criticized the Biden administration for allowing the entry of migrants and assured 
that the southern border is insecure and wide open, which caused, quote, the deaths of 70,000 Americans in the last 12 months from fentanyl. Associating the entry of fentanyl, this is NBC News, associating the entry of fentanyl with the arrival of migrants is a false idea that Republicans have repeated again and again in recent months. Although the amount of fentanyl and other drugs entering the southern border has increased in recent years, experts and federal agencies have explained that the drugs mainly arrive through authorized ports of entry in private vehicles. Quote, our research tells us the vast majority of fentanyl reaches ports of entry, particularly California and Arizona. Ann Milgram, administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration, said during a congressional hearing, only 0.02% of people arrested by the Border Patrol for crossing the border illegally possessed fentanyl, according to data analyzed by the Cato Institute in 2022. And they said about that the border is uh, wide open, uh, there are about 20,000 Border Patrol agents guarding the border with Mexico, monitors by cameras, drones, and, drones and other technology, uh, and there are 700, 700 miles of border protected by wall and other barriers. It's funny, though, 20,000 border agents is ridiculous. I mean, if there's 9,000 a day crossing, you know, that's for the entire border. But. So it's coming in through legitimate ports. Yes, the fentanyl's coming I, in. I mean, I could just hear all the parents who've lost their children to drug overdoses, saying, oh, well, that makes all the difference in the world, you know. Right, right. Well, well, what's funny here, though, is just that the point that I think it's funny about that is that Tim Scott, and he only made that point. We did watch the section where he made that point about the fentanyl. And he made it when he was challenged about his position on the auto workers in Michigan. And, uh, the striking auto workers, Tim Scott, and I covered this on the weekly report with, with Jack McCracken. Tim Scott, his reaction to the striking auto workers was he made the comment like what Ronald Reagan did with firing the air traffic controllers. So he took a position that was just hard line, like fire all the, uh, the uh, striking workers and replace them with scab labor. So he was asked about that at the debate. And he tried to backpedal a little bit and clarify it and say that, you know, the, the, what was the comment he made, that um, they want more benefits and fewer working hours and that's just not possible and it's going to fall on the taxpayer and blah, 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 blah. I mean, he's anti-worker, uh, union buster, uh, Uncle Tom. But he pivoted from that into immigration and said we need to close the border. The interesting thing was, though, he didn't make a labor argument about immigration. And I haven't heard anyone – now, maybe they did. Maybe someone did. If anybody watched in this audience watched the debate last night, maybe someone made a labor argument. I doubt it, though. I doubt it. To this false thing of fentanyl – and it's funny that NBC News points out it is false, that it's not coming through the border. It's like 77 percent of Republicans, the immigration is important. They want the freaking border closed. Why? Because – it's a racial demographic replacement. It's a fucking great replacement of the United States, of, of white people in America. But none of these jerks <laughs> can say that. So you have Tim Scott, and we can talk about some of the other excuses they use, but making it about fentanyl, trying to link it to fentanyl when they're not – fentanyl is not the reason why the immigrants – so it's in other words, if you show that it's not coming in, well, then the immigration is just fine. He's not making a labor argument about immigration, which if you're going to make an argument that's not the direct thing of this is white replacement by an anti-white uh, Jew, Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, who sat there next to Biden when Biden gave that famous clip about in, in 2015 about how white people are going to become a minority. You have an anti-white Jew fanatic, Alejandro Mayorkas, in charge of the Department of Homeland Security. You have a anti-white Jew fanatic, Merrick Garland, in charge of the Justice Department. All these people, if you're not going to make the racial argument, which is the strongest argument you can make on immigration, then make the labor argument. Make the labor argument. But they're not going to make it, and so they always have to do – I mean, what was the thing you used to tell me about with Philly when you were doing the alliance stuff in Philly years ago, how it was – they tried to make it about what property values or something, the integration uh, and the. Uh... Well, yeah, it was, you, you know, when it was busing, uh, 
when they wanted to bus kids. Uh, forced busing. Forced busing. Uh, then it was about our local schools and, the, and, and kids shouldn't have to ride on a, on a bus, you know, for an extra 15 minutes or a half hour or something, uh, which was a, like a, a disingenuous conservative argument because those parents would have gladly put their kids on a bus for an extra hour a day uh, if it would keep them in a white school, you know. And then when it was housing, like low-income housing, they were talking about property values and stuff like that. You know, it, it was uh, – but once again, if it was low-income housing and it was, you know, they were putting poor white people in there, you, there could be some argument maybe about property values. But it wouldn't have been the opposition that there was, you know, to like there was because they know there would be droves of Negroes roaming the streets in their neighborhood. Well, that's a, that's just an interesting thing because that that type of conservative argument. I mean, how long ago was that? Uh, that was in the nineteen seventies, uh, and that was in Philly. Yeah, it was all over. I mean, it was. Uh, but when you experienced this directly, yeah, it was in the seventies in Philly, and and then and also in in, in Boston when they. Uh, uh, integrated South Boston, you know, the schools up there. And yeah, most of that was in the seventies, I guess the early eighties. And and before that too, you know. And and you see how that worked out. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh but they the, you know, the conservatives always try to find some non racial argument when when race is what everybody's thinking and they just won't go there. They just won't go there. And they just fail again and again and again to stop this stuff. And in a case of uh, a Tim Scott, I mean, he's black. So it's not even about – it's not even about like – you could make the case a long time ago maybe that you have a white conservative politician who is racist, who is uh, supporting his white race community and, and is operating on well, – I say racist. You know what I mean. Who is operating on a racial principle. He's trying to defend the racial interests of his group as a white man. and But he's making a clever argument for tactical reasons. You can't make it about black people and, and how criminal they are. You have to make it about the distance that people have to – kids have to drive on their bus or, or property values or taxes or something like that. So you do this thing where you talk about – but – when you get the Republican politician is actually black. It's a black guy. Uh, you can't make the argument that he is like wink, wink, nod, nod, actually pro-white, and he's just framing it in a clever way. It's no, no, no. What he's actually doing is he's trying to give the white people who oppose immigration uh, for racial reasons. He's trying to give them a, a buy-in for an agenda that that is not in their interests at all. So that's the thing. I mean, the leadership of the Republican party increasingly, not only is it anti-white, but it's just not white, not white. It's a not white party anymore. So, so these people, you know, when they, when they make these conservative arguments, it's not like it was 40 years ago where it's like secret white racists, like Frank Rizzo making an argument. That's like a a coded racial argument. It's just, it's an anti-white party. And, and they're, the arguments that they're making are, are just, to to pander to the white racial interest when they, when they have no intention of doing anything for white people. Well, the bottom line is it's just flat out cowardice. Uh, pe- people were too cowardly to call a spade a spade. No pun intended. It, it's uh, they uh, you know they like there's a certain even the rank and file not just the politicians are not they're not just too cowardly to say it. But a lot of the rank and file Republicans, uh, they don't want to be seen. They want to put a yard sign out for a guy who everybody says is racist. So if you get like a Tim Scott saying something along those lines, you know, some people are just really looking for a a non-white to say some of these things. And that's the proof that they're not racist, you know. And it's just social and political cowardice. And, 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 you know... Politics, nature doesn't favor cowards. It just well, doesn't. That reminds me of the Supreme Court with uh, Clarence Thomas. Oh, Clarence Thomas, oh, yeah. the great. You know, we were talking about Clarence Thomas a little bit. I guess you you were never a real fan of Clarence Thomas. 
never with you know like a gorilla with his white wife and and I just I don't know just maybe I'm just real old school but that just really went against my grain to see uh, concern, you know white people getting excited about a guy like that I mean it comes out like like a friend a comrade years ago said to me if it takes a non-white to save the white race they don't deserve to be saved you know yeah yeah um, so yeah this this group here I mean. The other thing is this is the future of the Republican Party. I mean, Trump, I keep saying this, Trump is not going to be around forever. Trump is not going to be around forever. Trump, if he gets in again, will be probably one term. Um, but Sven needs me to sign up for a paywall subscription at the right slash paywall. OK, Sven, I'm your number one guy. I'll do it. When Trump, I mean, much of what the NJP has to do, I think, right now is prepare for the post-Trump era, because you see how there's all these people that are trying to take up his rhetoric. I mean, one comment that somebody made, it was funny, uh, one of these uh, Politico or something, they said how they're all trying to dress like Donald Trump. They all wear the, the, the big suit and the red tie. I mean, they all are wearing red, except Chris Christie. He's like showing how anti-Trump he is by wearing like a, a pink with spots or something. But they're all trying to project that uh and they want to tap into it and um it's it's really it's it's the thing i fear is that when trump is off the stage that white voters white republican voters are going to as they always have settled for the next best thing or the least bad thing uh, one thing that's very interesting to me is there's supposed to be a debate. Actually, I saw this on uh, Rising. We didn't get a chance to talk about this. I saw this on Rising, and then I saw Stryker uh, posted about it. But apparently, um, they are going to. There's going to be a debate between that they're trying to set up between uh, Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom, and uh, or actually, this wasn't on Rising. I saw this on Breaking Point. So Crystal and Sager. <clears throat> Stryker wrote about this. He said, this is the 2024 election the system actually wants. If they figure out a way to get Trump to bow out, Biden will follow. But they're going to have a highly unusual for governors not running for the same office to debate. But it says they've clashed repeatedly. Apparently, you know, this whole idea of Florida versus California, Florida's values versus California's values. And, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom is another, they're about the same age, Newsom's probably a little older. He's probably in his 50s. Very slick, polished, clean-cut guy. Um, The same way DeSantis is of this new type of politician for this era. Um, Stryker's absolutely right that these two are the people that they would, the system wants these two guys to be in. But the thing is, even though they're not doing it now, they're trying to get us used to this. They're trying to get us used to this. I mean, the funny thing about Ron DeSantis, we talk about what a humiliating failure his campaign has been, and it has been, and it's great, and I love it, and I love that the that the people are not buying it, what the, what the media is selling them, and what the Republican establishment is selling them. But in four years, Ron DeSantis reinvents himself, comes back, people forget and in four years, we could very well end up with a Ron DeSantis running now. And now with with Trump out of the picture, Ron DeSantis could do very well. Gavin Newsom's another one. Uh, you know, the, it's been interesting with the with the Democrats. Who are they going to get to be their guy after Biden? Kamala is hated and despised all over the country. And who else? You know, they keep talking about the gerontocracy. Jerry, how uh, like. People like uh, Nancy Pelosi, all these these old hags, and these uh, how they're just hanging on to power. They're not letting anyone get the limelight or, or come up. So uh, they need a new, fresh face. And uh, the idea that they're going to do this debate between um, Newsom and DeSantis, it's just the system signaling to me that, hey, they're trying to desperately get people used to these people and see them as leaders or something like that. And and they're trying to get, like, the polarizing thing, too, because this is the other thing. If Republicans hate Ron DeSantis and they're not excited about him, one way to get them excited about him is put him in a contrast with Gavin Newsom. So now people are going to see, if you're on the right, you're going to see DeSantis 
the contrast between him and Newsom, and you'll be like, oh, wow, I like Tweedledum. And then the same thing on the Democratic Party. If they can't get any excitement about Newsom, put him next to Ron DeSantis, and now people will, with the, with the uh, illusion of choice, now suddenly they'll get excited about the, they're rooting for their horse. I think sometimes in our circles, something that isn't appreciated enough is this, you know, elections, and, and, and it's just bean counting. And I don't think people really appreciate how simple uh, a huge percentage of voters are. And it really comes down to name uh, recognition. I mean, because they've heard a name. They know that name. When they go in there and they look at that ballot, there's a name they recognize. Uh, Because otherwise, how the hell does a guy like Lindsey Graham or uh, Jowls there from uh, Mitch Mitch McConnell, how do they keep getting elected? It's just the name recognition is so great that you can't overcome it. Uh, and, and uh, you know, and people just vote for these guys over and over and over again. And that's why there's, like, boatloads of money gets spent on these campaigns because the trick is with, you know, traditional American politics is to have name recognition and but without actually committing or saying anything. So it's, it's just like you know, like a brand of sneakers or a car or something. It's, it's like saturation, uh, you know, ads and, and that costs a lot of money. And, and, uh, if you can do that, it's very hard to overcome because, uh, you know, if you're like, uh, somebody that's political, you think about the issues, you, you, you really think things out and you make a choice. The average person, they go, they go in there and, and, um, I remember a, a local lady, uh, when Obama first ran, ran, and I went to a meeting, and, and uh, uh, this lady, we were going, they were going around the room why they like Obama, and this nice older lady said, "I like Michelle," you know. I mean, this is the kind of stuff, and like it goes all the way back, uh, Kennedy Nixon. Uh, Kennedy was compared to Nixon like a good-looking younger guy and stuff, and and. Uh, and people just voted for him, especially a lot of women voted for Kennedy because they thought he was better looking than Nixon. I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff that actually sways elections. And and I think people in our in our camp sometimes you you lose track of that, uh, or you don't fully appreciate it unless you unless you've done like canvassing or actually done some real election work where you talk to the voter, to the man in the street, and then you see it's like. Man, you need a drink at the end of the day. It's like unbelievable what you run into, the, the, you know, the kind of thinking that the average voter has. I like that Hitler always talked about that openly, too. Hitler never pandered to the masses. He was like the intelligence of the masses is small. And, and his solution with that was always to just get his message across to them on their level uh, you know, I, I just was watching that clip from Glengarry Glenn Ross where he says, the leads are weak. He says, the leads are weak. The leads are weak. You're weak. And I was, I, I was joking to Emily. That's like the thing if, if you're a right wing intellectual and you say, well, the, the, the masses are stupid. And you could say, the masses are stupid. You're stupid, you know, because you got to figure out a way to reach them. Well, that's, that's why they hate Trump because Trump, like in 2016, he spent so much less money. He, he didn't, go to conventional route with, with his paying huge sums of money to these political experts and advisors. He just uses gut instinct and he tapped into people's to their gut instincts. And he's, you know, and, and, and he blew them, blew them out of the water. And, and, and that more than anything, they want to get rid of Trump because he really agitates the, the, the natives. He makes them restless, you know, and, and then they go off the res, uh, with him and that whole January 6th thing and everything that he, that he stirs up, they just want to get rid of that at all costs. And that's why they're doing this unprecedented, uh, legal stuff against Trump. Uh, I mean, it's insane what, what, what some of these legal decisions against him is just, they just want him out of the picture one way or another. Yeah. I'm going to have to do a deep, a deep dive here soon on uh, Gavin Newsom and really dig into this guy because he's a total piece of crap. But he's just surfaced here in the last like two weeks, three weeks, where I'm seeing his name all around. And and you know when the media does this, when they start floating a guy, um, 
I think also it's the system's way of having a Democrat in place in case Biden actually dies or something, because Biden looks so weak. We should talk about the union visit. So while this debate was going on, uh, Trump visited this Michigan uh, auto plant, which was non-union, and they made a big thing out of that, although there were, you know, to be fair to Trump, there were some union workers there. Um, and they had signs, you know, union striking workers, and they had signs unions for Trump. But Trump uh, had announced that he was going to do this, that he was going to visit the the auto workers during the Republican debate while it was going on. And between the time that he announced it and when he did it, Biden went and appeared with his bullhorn shuffling around. And oh my God, did Biden look just as frail! Yeah, totally feeble. Just the he way used he to wa- say glass balls. Well, yeah, I had yeah a friend that used to say he walks like he has glass balls. You know, he's afraid <laughs> if they'll smack together, they'll break or something. I mean, the guy just looks. You know, I don't want to make fun of old age. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm inching towards it myself. But uh, I mean, guy that's the president, and, and, and well, like Trump was saying in the one speech, he doesn't know where he he didn't know where he was. He didn't know what well, he that was. That was the funny thing about Trump. So when you we, we saw a clip of Trump talking, and Trump is still very funny. And he was saying, Biden, he stood up there. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know what he was doing, what he was saying. And Trump looks amazing. I mean, for his age, he really does. He actually looks better now than he did, uh, I think, a few years ago. Like, he, he lost a little weight, and he's he's gotten his energy back. Um, but it's funny how, first of all, it's funny how both these guys are pandering to the working class, pandering to the workers. Now, Biden was criticized for only being there 15 minutes, and we saw a clip of him, you know, with his bullhorn, and yeah, he's just walking with glass balls and just really uh, frail and feeble, and apparently they asked him about the pay increase, that the 40% increase that these guys are asking for, and he said yes, but now, like, his handlers are saying he actually shouldn't have said that, but he kind of had to because of the, um, you know, that's not the place to not say that. Um but again, the the killer shot on Biden, if you want to knock him off his union pro union stance, is to talk about the millions upon millions of essentially scab labor that are flooding into this country. And I don't see anyone really making that argument on the right or the left. And I mean, unless it's you know very uh, anti woke left or or far right. Uh, but then Trump doing this thing. Well, well the other thing with Biden, his whole history, decades in Congress, he was really just a shill for the credit card company. The credit card industry. High interest rate did, did, did nothing but hurt working people. I mean, that's what he did. But that's the thing with these guys. You know, campaign season, they can get up there and do some little stunt, some political theater about being pro-worker, you know, come out with a line that the you know that's the media grabs, and it's good enough. Unless you have somebody like the NJP or somebody is there to call them out on it, uh, it's good enough. And that's why you know, they do everything they can to shut us out from commenting on it because it's very easy to point out how they're just blowing smoke and and in their whole history is the opposite of what they're saying here at election time, and they have no intention of of, of carrying that stuff out. But unless somebody's there to actually point it out to people, they get away with it. It's good enough to just make a remark like that, do a little little stunt, and uh, and it's good enough. Well, that's why we had to build up our thing to where when, when it is a DeSantis versus Gavin Newsom presidential race, we can be really active. Because that's what I fear with both these guys is that unless people have – and, you know, there will be other – jokers who will emerge that you know people nobody's even heard of yet between now and the following president i mean we're talking it's only 2023 so we're talking five years into the future but my fear is that people will kind of go back to sleep once trump's off the stage uh and and they will end up doing the, the least bad thing and they'll end up voting for a ron DeSantis or something like that but yeah it, it's just uh the the phony the, the 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 way these people posture. So Trump, you have him there doing this uh, thing at a non-union plant, and I listened to some of his speech. We kind of skipped skimmed through it, 
and it was interesting how much of the speech he spent like he did say that he supports the striking auto workers he did say that so trump wasn't ta- doing the tim scott thing and just being like you know they should all be fired or i signed with the non-union uh, company but he pivoted very quickly after saying he's pro-union to bashing electric vehicles and electric cars and making it all about electric cars and if you listen to his speech he go through so much of it was talking about stuff like electric vehicles not talking about immigration if you're hearing this then you're only getting half the show did you know that the right stuff.biz is 100% listener funded thanks to this censorship machine this project can only be sustained by listeners like you by supporters like you so why don't you get behind the paywall at the right stuff.biz/paywall and show the powers that be that they can't silence the most silenced so the uh, scum on the debate stage last night talked a lot about immigration, but of course none of them make it about race. I mean, I don't have to watch it to know that it's about great replacement. All of them trying to turn it into either crime or these are illegal immigrants or they're bringing fentanyl or there's, you know, crime rates are going up, all this horse shit, instead of actually the, the real issue. Like what if they, what if they, I mean, Mike and Stryker and others have made this point on this network, but it's like what if the immigrants come through legally and they are law-abiding, and they're not bringing drugs, and they're and they're crime-free. Then is it okay to bring in you know a hundred million people into this country in the next you know ten years? Uh, that argument's never made. But the point I'm making is that Trump. It's very interesting that Trump tried to pivot on this speech to auto workers, uh, tying it back to his position on electric vehicles instead of talking about immigration because it seems like if you're talking to union people and union workers and workers demanding a higher wage and and greater benefits the the immigrants are directly going to contribute to lower wages they always have and we have the data to prove that well he he by being pro-union saying that he supported the union he's going off the republican script you know right so then making it about electric cars He's bringing it back into the Republican uh, alignment. You know, it's like you could call it anti-environment, you know. Now, regardless of what you think of electric cars, it's it's a lot of dubious stuff about whether it's actually any better or not. That's a separate issue. The point is, you know, on the surface, it's like he's he's, uh, attacking tree huggers or something. You know what I mean? And so he's pro-union, but... He's still a Republican because he's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, also with um, with Trump, it was interesting because uh, uh, Fain, the uh, the uh, auto workers president, um, who's leading the strike, he uh, he really came down hard on Trump with this, and I I I really kind of like that guy. I mean, we Jack McCracken and I went at length uh, on the last show about him. But um, I like his attitude. But he said that uh, during the recession, um, back in, I guess, 2008, he blamed Trump, came out and blamed auto workers for, uh, in part, for the recession. And then uh, when the GM workers went on strike in 2019 for two months, Trump never did anything pro-union. He didn't go stand with the picket line. He didn't say anything. So that's the other interesting thing. It's just like not only do these people pander to like the Republicans pander to white people, but right now we have both the Republicans and the Democrats or Biden and Trump pandering to the union workers. And it's it's so transparent. Like you said, Biden as the champion of the credit card industry during most of his career. I mean, that's where he took his big money from. And then Trump uh, – you look at his record on this and uh well you know you and i were in the trump hotel speaking of workers uh <laughs> the night of hailgate with uh richard spencer and the alt-right you know the, the that that night we were at the trump hotel and everyone working there was like a migrant from africa yeah yeah the one in in dc yeah it was something to see you know it was uh... yeah so so i mean these guys are both not Friends of labor, obviously. It's interesting to me, you know, one thing that we can take away from it, though, that's good from a national socialist perspective is that they feel the need to pander to labor. 
Right. You know, right. they need to feel the pander on immigration and everything. See, that to me, glass is half full. That's opportunity. That's opportunity. The demand is there for our kind of politics. It's just that the people in place to to deliver on this or in the public uh, sphere are not going to deliver on it. They're just delivering rhetoric and they're not actually going to deliver. But our kind of politics, the people actually want it. The fact that Biden and Trump are both forced to go when neither one of them is really a pro-labor or pro-union guy actually, functionally, the fact that they're both forced to pander to that is a good sign for us, I think. It's, you know, sometimes I just think that, that all this stuff is over. We overthink all this stuff. I mean, the, the bottom line is these guys are slick liars, snake oil, oil salesmen. That's all. That, 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 that's all you really need to know. They don't. They're saying things that they don't mean. They don't intend to carry out. They're just liars, you know. And like I used to know a guy who said, "I don't even want to hear the truth out of a liar," you know, because when, when somebody's a liar like that, you just don't know. You, you don't know what to believe. Uh, but but that that's what it amounts to. You you can't their party platform and, and their party history is doesn't do the right thing, and their own personal history in in that party it, it, they have a terrible record for workers and for for white interests, and, and that really is all you need to know. A lot of the media did talk about this as uh, that the Republicans are kind of outbid each other on the border crackdown and. Mother Jones had an article, Republicans' immigration proposals are shockingly cruel. The GOP debate was full of draconian ideas, uh, saying that they, uh, uh, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy said he would end birthright citizenship and deport all these people. Um, and then Time Magazine had an article, uh, Republican candidates outbid each other on a border crackdown. Um for the next 20 minutes, Republican candidates repeatedly work to outdo each other with even tougher lines on border security. Every co- county in America is now a border county, Tim Scott proclaimed, saying Biden should finish Donald Trump's border wall. Vivek Ramaswamy said he would militarize the U.S. border. DeSantis repeated his proposal to deploy American special forces into Mexico to attack cartels. Chris Christie said he would send the U.S. National Guard to the border on day one of his presidency to stop fentanyl from being smuggled into the U.S. Again, they keep doing that. Um, Nikki Haley called for stopping federal funds to so-called sanctuary cities that aid newly arrived migrants. And she blamed Biden for sending the wrong signals when he came to office. Um, But, you know, you saw the modern politics I just did, how this this giant uh, city in Texas that has been created north of Austin. What's it called? Colony Ridge? Yeah, How it's being funded. Uh, what was that? Was that the, the Daily Wire, I guess, um, did that? How um, it's being funded by, uh, you know, it, 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 the, the idea behind it, if you guys haven't seen this, illegal immigrant town springs up. It's like the size of Washington, D.C. <laughs> and um, it's... Basically, the developer who is uh, William Trey Harris, who is actually um, funding it, the way he's doing it is the way he's making these loans to all these immigrants, illegal immigrants, is by making essentially private loans. So it's not like a traditional bank loan where you have to have a social security card and you have to have a – it's just a private contract that's signed rather than than, uh, a a typical mortgage. And – it's this huge, sprawling thing, 20 miles north of downtown, uh, oh, Houston, rather than Austin, drawn in thousands of illegal migrants. Um, and the thing that I was, you know, what, what you see is that a lot of the politicians who are thundering against border security in Texas, who are Republicans, are actually uh, donors, uh, or this guy is a donor to their campaigns, and they're turning a blind eye to this gigantic uh, migrant city that's that's springing up there. It's around sixty square miles in size, homed up to seventy five thousand people, and uh, and then while the initial in payment is relatively cheap, borrowers then face interest rates of up to ten percent and more. So it's just and the, the Republican governor in Texas, what is it, uh, Abbott? These guys are taking huge amounts of money from this uh, developer who is building this. Um, the guy, uh, what's his name? 
William Trey Harris. So the same Republicans that are thundering about the border are then taking money from this guy and turning a blind eye to what's going on right in their own backyard. And that's the thing. The Republican Party wants this. Well, you know, the thing to remember is, I mean, Trump was elected in 2016 on this issue. And most of these Republicans that are running now were around then. Yeah. So you had Trump, who wasn't the president, and all these Republicans that were in government, and nothing effective got done, really. Yeah. So why why should anybody believe that they're now going to do it, do it? And and it's and before Trump, like I said, for decades they were talking about you know illegal immigration, and nothing has ever been done. Uh, and and sometimes the Republicans are are in solid the House and the Cong or, or the uh, pr- White House and and Congress. Sometimes it's Democrats. Nothing ever gets done because they they both want it for, for for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and you know they're, they're saying that this is not is an electorally popular issue. There was an article here on the the Hill. Immigration dominated the GOP debate, but it's not the political winner that Republicans think. And they're saying that, uh, you know, in the 2018 midterms, Trump decided to nationalize the race with a relentless focus on caravans and criminals. He warned terrorists and bad hombres were on their way to invade our nation to become Democratic voters in what has become a favorite right-wing conspiracy called white replacement theory. Again, that is a deliberate misrepresentation of it. It's not to become Democratic voters. Again, the whole thing there is, like, we must save the Republican Party, not we must save the white race. We must save white America, you know? Uh, and that was Tucker Carlson for years by presenting the issue in that, as a threat to the Republican Party rather than as a threat to the white race. But it says that by the result, Democrats took back the House winning by nine points, the largest midterm in, uh, margin in midterm election history, a clear rebuke of Trump's hateful, inhumane policies that even put off Republican voters, especially white suburban women, and that uh, this is an unpopular um, issue. Now, we know that it, it, Trump didn't lose the 2020 election because he was an, against immigration. If, if anything, uh, the amount of immigration that came in is what helped swing the election against him. Um, but what's interesting about this is just saying, by them saying that it's not popular in the general election, what that means is um, what you're going to see is even if Trump, whether Trump gets the nomination or one of one of these other people gets the nomination, this is the kind of rhetoric that they will drop immediately when the Republican primary is over. Like we, we are living in the largest immigration wave in history. Actually, August last month was a record setting month for the number of migrant encounters in history, I think. Um, and of course, always, you know, with the encounters, it was 4 million, I think, encounters. And, and I always point out what James Carlson told me from the white papers that for all the uh, encounters, uh, that's like maybe 60 percent of the people actually coming across. So something like that. For every one that encounter, there's another one or, or there's like for every, you know, four encounters, there's three maybe that they're not encountering that are getting across. So the actual number is probably closer to like 7 million. But the fact that they're going to drop this as soon as the uh, primary is over, they're going to drop this. I mean, this should be the issue that anybody is running on in this country. And if you're a Republican, it should be if you're going to go after Biden, it should be a labor issue. That's what the whole thing should be is immigration. And you make it a labor issue. The fact that they are just signaling on this, uh, I, I think, you know, what they're saying here with how it's not electorally popular in the general, they're going to drop this rhetoric in the, in the general. And if Trump gets in, I think you will have uh, – you might end up actually getting a Reagan-style amnesty of some kind if Trump actually gets back in. Because who's to stop him from oh, doing yeah, that? Who's yeah. to stop him? I mean, who's to stop Reagan? Do you remember when the thing happened with Reagan? I was too young to – you know. Yeah, I, I remember it. Yeah. I mean, was that a – was that because I know Pierce was criticizing uh, Reagan way early on, even in the seventies? Right. Pierce was saying that Reagan's not the Great White Hope, but I mean, when that went down, I don't know what year that was. 
Did you know that the rightstuff.biz is 100% listener funded? The only reason you're hearing this right now is because you're only getting half the show. There's so much content you're missing, and you'll never hear these ads again if you get behind the paywall at the rightstuff.biz slash paywall. Uh, it had to be uh, now 1980 or something. I can look it up, the Reagan amnesty. But, I mean, how was that greeted by people who were, were concerned about immigration um, at the time? Yeah, it was... Okay, here it was. The Immigration Reform and Control Act oh, of he, 1986 oh, wow, that lady, I, altered U.S. immigration law by making it illegal to hire immigrants knowingly and establish financial, blah, 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 uh, legalized. The, so, so here's what it did. Let's, let's point, just read it. The Immigration Reform and Control Act. So it sounds really serious, right? Right, right. Altered U.S. And this, I guess, was his second term, yeah, right? So right. he waits till his second term when he's not going to be in again. Right. The Immigration Reform and Control Act altered U.S. immigration law by making it illegal to hire illegal immigrants knowingly and establishing financial and other penalties for companies that employed illegal immigrants. The act also legalized most undocumented immigrants who had arrived in the country prior to January 1st, 1982. So that is the template for the kind of anti-immigration law you will get. Yeah. Under Donald Trump. Right. You will get some kind of thing that says, Oh yeah, now it's now it's bad. Now we're we're gonna punish it from going forward. However, uh, now we're gonna legalize all these people. Yeah, it's what's funny, you know what's you know, it's like it's, it'd be like you know, getting tough on crime, uh you're gonna stiffen a penalty for murder, but you're gonna uh everybody, you know, previous to when you pass the act it's convicted of murder, you're just going to let them out of prison or something. You know, I right. mean, it's, it's, it's that, that kind of, you know, these little tricks they like to do. So the media can, you know, whoever wants can emphasize the one part of it, but the other part that actually undoes it is just, you know, you don't have to talk about that. You can let that. The other interesting thing about this is that think of all the, the whole point of this act, the Immigration and Reform and Control Act, or the Simpson-Mazzoli Act. The whole point of it is to limit future immigration. You know, you're making it illegal to hire illegal immigrants knowingly and establishing financial and other penalties for companies that employ illegal immigrants. Well, how did that work out? This was 1986. This is almost, what, what is that, 37 years ago? Yeah. So did that put a stop to illegal immigration? Like, did that stop the illegal immigration, all those, those penalties that they put in in 1986? Like, how did we get? From 1986, when America was still, what, like 90% white, to today where we're like 50-some percent white because of immigration. How the hell did we get here if all these penalties were put in place that were? This is the best, this is the best case scenario of what you're going to get out of Donald Trump or any of these Republicans is another something like this. It's going to be an amnesty, and then and then you're, we're going to have another forty years, and whites will be twenty percent of the population. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh... anyway. Yeah, this is um, this is really uh, yeah, it's disgusting, and um, uh, yeah, I have no interest in this in this um, in this debate, um, and and I don't know. We we'll probably on this show we will we will take the time to watch. Some of the I like watching stuff in context. I'm a big yeah. believer of watching the actual thing in context because a lot of stuff there's things that don't slip through in the news reports um, that that come out. But I, I saw one article where it was Democrats are going to start bird dogging these uh, Republican candidates when they come around for town meetings and so forth, and uh, they're going to really press them in public on whether you know they they. Uh, like how much of a Trump guy are they, you know? They're going to try to, because they know all these Republicans are going to try to sound like Trump for the primary, and then they're going to try to, you know, abandon that and come to the center for the general election. So they want to, like, establish how much these guys are like Trump and press them on it, you know? Right. But, uh, I mean, that's not a bad tactic, actually. I mean, that's a tactic that... that 
you know, our side could do from the right, press these guys, just get in these places and ask them point blank, pin them down on some of these questions. It's uh, because you can't do it. You know, they have us so shut out of everything online that the only place you can really do that is in a, in a uh, IRL meeting when the people are there. Yeah, well, and that's why uh, we, we'll talk about that more in the second half, IRL space and how important it is. I mean, it's something we've been going on and on and on and on lately with TRS and with NJP. But uh, it's really – it's the only way to keep this from happening. That, that, that The next time around, you know, your choices are instead of three out of eight, it'll be uh, five out of eight Indians and blacks, uh, you know, as, as your Republican leaders. But, yeah, that's it for our one, guys. We will uh, – see you on the other side here and we're going to get into the Pavel Lapeer murder um, and also some history Max Schmeling and uh, Heinrich von Treischke uh, some things that I've, I found and dad wants to talk about Max Schmeling which is always a good topic so we will see you guys on the other side in hour two and uh, stay tuned stay tuned